We are kind of in between things this Sunday. We finished up a series called Practicing Resurrection last week, and next week we're going to have the celebration of the mortgage, and the week after that we'll start a, a new series. But uh, kind of in, in anticipation this celebration of the uh, payoff of our own temple that we have built here at Emmanuel, I'm going to read a psalm today, Psalm 84, which many of the lines of which we just sang, but uh, it's a psalm about the temple as a place of worship and the role that worship plays in our journey of faith. And so as we have been talking about practicing resurrection and sustaining the journey, and since we'll be celebrating our land and our building as gifts from God in a service of gratitude next week, let's look at Psalm 84, this celebration of the gift that God's temple is to, to God's two people and let it draw those two things together. 84th Psalm. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, indeed it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. Happy are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. God bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you. Let's pray. Lord, lead us into that place of rest, that place of blessing, that place of grace, that place of happiness, where our souls are satisfied because of your steadfast love. And then move us to that place where we live this day and this week in thanks and praise. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Since I've announced my retirement, two of the questions that I have probably gotten most often when people hear that I am retiring next February is, first of all, where are you going? Usually that's because people think retirement means moving to Palm Springs or someplace cheaper, but that's hot. Um, Yakima, maybe. Uh, so what we tell folks is we're staying in our house. We've you know, been there for 30 plus years and it's a good place to be. And our kids are near, and so we're not planning to move anywhere. And then comes the second question. Well, where are you going to go to church? And that one's harder to answer. 
<laughs> Much harder to answer. We're pretty uncertain about that. We don't know the answer to that question yet. And it's sort of a brand new world for me. I haven't sat in a pew regularly or out where you're sitting for since 1980, really, since seminary internships. And so that's a brand new experience to contemplate. What, what is that going to be like sitting where you are looking at someone doing what I'm doing that's not me? And pastors will tell you that's an interesting bridge to cross or chasm uh, <laughs> to try to get across. <laughs> the other thing is, is that, you know, I haven't in probably since we were married, Marianne and I have never occupied that place of sitting together regularly in worship where we are shoulder to shoulder and she's not looking at me wondering, oh, is he going to say that? Um, <laughs> or I'm not looking out at her as was well, that OK? You know? <laughs> So the question of where we're going to worship is really a, a very hard question to answer. You know, it's sort of like, can we? <laughs> and where if we can? And it makes me very empathic toward those in the wake of COVID who have not yet been able to find their way back to worship. It actually makes me very empathic for those folks. That's why you haven't heard any harangues from up front telling you all to get back into worship and where are you and the people who've wanted to come back have and the people who haven't wanted to come back have got their reasons for that to be the case and i'm not talking about you on zoom i really believe you're virtually here so <laughs> i'm talking about the people we've lost track of because the habit or getting out of the habit of worship has led them to a place that is really, in my mind, not that bad. Because it's led them to that place where they're asking the question, now why is it that we go to worship? Why is it that we used to do that? And when I've asked the question to some people that I've had the opportunity to be in conversation with, you know, why haven't you come back? They say, well, we're not really sure. Oftentimes they'll say, we're not really sure. We're not mad, we're not going to a different place, but we're not there. We've kind of gotten out of the habit of going and it's raised the question for us of why we went in the first place. And we're kind of working with that question now. We're not really sure what we need or what will bring us back. So we're thinking about it. And for me, that's one of the strange gifts of COVID because I think those are good questions. In fact, I think we all need to have an answer to that question of why we're here, why we take the trouble and time to come or why we are drawn so deeply to it that we cannot not be here. They're very good questions and I'm glad that COVID gave people the permission to ask what habit may have blinded them from asking, why do we go to church? and not having an answer to that question. And I think Psalm 84 weighs in with an answer to that question of why we go to church. 
The context of, of Psalm 84, like many of the Psalms, is the exile, the, that time in Israel's history where most of its leadership was hauled into the relative luxury of Babylon, quite frankly. They were not destitute in that place. They were just exiles. They were brought out of Jerusalem, not so much to punish them as to keep them out of Jerusalem while Babylon was assimilating it. So bring the leaders in to the city and get them Babylonian. And many of them stayed, by the way. And then we'll have an easier time of placating and pacifying those rebels. So what many of the Psalms do is they are filled with a kind of nostalgia in a light way, but in a heavier way, a kind of remembering of what used to happen in Jerusalem and an attempt to connect there. And so you have anger, like in the 137th Psalm, where the captors in Babylon are saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Let's learn some of your songs, you know, as we're sitting here by these lovely canals and hanging gardens. Let's learn some of your songs. That, that would be an interesting cultural experience for us, you know. Dance a little bit for us. Show us your dances. Sing us your songs. Not something that people really want to do in front of their captors. And so the psalmist says, you know, how can I sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? You know, if I forget you, Israel, let my right hand be cut off and my tongue be cut out. Blessed is he who takes your babies, Babylon, and dashes their heads against the rocks. Now, that's a little bit of anger. Um, <laughs> but there's a longing in the Psalms to once again be enjoying the things that they had in the temple and what kind of realization that gave to them when they had that regular worship. And Psalm 84 is definitely one of those psalms. And today I, I want to kind of first of all thank my friend Bob Weiss for giving me last year this book of the psalms by uh, someone who's fluent in biblical Hebrew, a, a German rabbi who wrote in the late 19th century. And his name is uh, Samson Raphael Hirsch. And he wrote a kind of contemporary reflection and translation of the Psalms in German in 1892 or something like that is when the final edition came out. And then in 1960, it was translated from German into English by a woman named Gertrude Hirschler, who left Vienna with her family in 1938 after Kristallnacht and came to Baltimore, Maryland. And she translated the German into English. And I'm going to read this psalm over for you in, in not in German, <laughs> in uh, Gertrude Herschler's English translation of Psalm 84 of Rabbi Hirsch's paraphrase, if all of that makes sense to you. It's a little convoluted, but I just want to, uh, let me read the psalm to you. And you notice I'm reading from a book that opens this way, <laughs> as Hebrew does, but it's a mixture of Hebrew and English. And so that's another thing that kind of has me unhinged. Uh, <laughs> let me just read the psalm. And the first verse in the Hebrew Bible of Psalm 84 is what we call the superscription or the, you know, it's up above the psalm. And we start verse 1 at what for Rabbi Hirsch is verse 2. So um, let me just read it for you. To him who grants victory 
upon the wine pressing by the sons of Korah, a psalm. What beloved friends are your dwelling places, O God of hosts? My soul yearns, indeed it pines for the courts of God. My heart and my body sing with joy toward the living God. Even the bird finds its house again and the swallow its own nest where it had sheltered its young. Your altars, O God of hosts, my King and my God. Forever forward stride those that dwell in your house. Continually they proclaim your praise. But forward also strides that one who derives fortitude from you, those that cherish in their hearts the roads that lead on high. Wandering through the valley of weeping, they make it into a spring, indeed into blessings with which a rain develops. They stride from strength to strength until they see themselves drawing near to God in Zion. O oh God, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Incline your ear, O God of Yaakov, Jacob. For our shield, look around, O God, and see where is the face of your anointed one. For even one day in your courts is better than a thousand days. I would rather stand uh, upon the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of lawlessness. For a son and a shield is God, God. God bestows worthiness of favor and glory. He withholds not the good from those that walk in moral integrity. O God of hosts, forward forever strides the one who trusts in you. And so as you listen to that, and you compare it with what's in the New Revised Standard Version, you see a few variations. And one of the most important ones for me is right up front, where the phrase, how lovely is your dwelling place, is translated by Rabbi Hirsch to what beloved friends are your dwelling places, O oh God. And it's a comment on the chambers of the temple. The temple was divided into a variety of chambers, all of them dedicated to some kind of celebration of the, the presence of God. And, and that first line of the psalm is, God, you like being here. <laughs> what beloved friends are your dwelling places? You like being here because you are at home here. And because you are at home here, we are at home here with you. And that's the way hospitality works. And this psalm is very much about hospitality. Hospitality works in this way that someone who is comfortable in their place is a lot better at welcoming others in without a fuss. And that's what's going on here. Because the host feels at home, the visitors feel at home too. And everyone else finds their place in God's place even the birds. And that image of the birds, I said this to some others earlier this week in our Alexio group, that image of the birds, perhaps for a modern rendition of it, you can go down to San Juan Capistrano and look at the swallow nests along the mission there in California. Not a real relevant image for those of you who are not from Southern California, but uh, 
You could also go into Costco and see the sparrows flying around. <laughs> That's the kind of image. The sparrows are very much at home in Costco. <laughs> and the sparrows are at home in the temple of God as well by the psalmist's report. But then the location shifts in this psalm. And it's clear that the temple is not the place that the psalmist currently finds himself, but rather in exile, rather in a place of, of weeping. The location shifts because the psalmist is not at home in the temple. The psalmist is on the road of life and not in an easy place to be in anyone's journey. And that's away from home by some choice other than his own. He's going through the valley of Baca, is the reference that's given there. And some people, like our translation, translates it as if it means a dry place, because Baca can mean either weeping or it can mean a particular kind of tree that does well in an arid place. You know, for people say, I read the Bible literally, I just want to say, mm, good luck. <laughs> Because there are these kind of variants all the way through it. But the reality is, is that the way Rabbi Hirsch translates this is that sense of a place of not dryness, but a place of tears, a place of grief, a place of weeping, where those tears actually somehow become springs of joy, a window into something that gives birth to joy. The place of tears becomes the place of life-giving springs that actually are watering our lives. What sustains the psalmist in this place of dryness or grief are the things that he learned in worship. And worship builds, as we sang earlier, a highway to God in our hearts. Worship roots us in God's heart and so gives us a resource to return there to the temple and to return to worship even when we're not in worship. The songs sustain us when we're on the road. And then what Rabbi Hirsch does with this word happy, in Hebrew it's ashar or asherah. It's a, a word we see often, sometimes it's translated blessed. Happy is the man, Psalm 1, blessed. It's the same idea that Jesus uses in the Beatitudes, where in Greek the word is markarios, blessed, happy. But happy is one of those words that's always kind of eluded me to some extent, because it seems, it seems a little false, as if we can, by our own judgment, be in a place that's perfect and sort of statically remain there and constantly be seeking our, our happiness. What I love what he does with this word asherah or ashar is he uses the phrase forever forward, that that state of happiness is a state of forever moving forward on the road, forever moving forward with God. And there's three times that he uses that blessing phrase. And he talks about forever forward stride those who dwell in God's house. Forward also strides the one who derives fortitude from God and therefore builds those highways to God in his or her heart. And 
forward strides in verse 12 that builds trust ultimately in God. It's a new meaning for the word happy in my mind and one that's probably beyond that sort of subjective static measure for happy, but it's more like Lewis's phrase that we talked about last week as they're headed up toward heaven and they say further up and further in, that the journey continues and enlivens as it continues, that that to be happy is to be forever moving forward and ready to receive, almost on the lookout for blessing as you travel along the way. For the fuel that fosters trust is what is happening when we receive that kind of word from God along the road. We're ready to receive grace and loving kindness and then take the next step in confidence that God is with us as our sun, our light, and our shield, our protection. And what we're doing along the way is singing the song implanted in our hearts by God's Spirit. What we're doing along the way is an act of worship that we learned in the temple. One of my last jobs at UPC was to be what they called pastor of worship. I was head of the worship department and planning worship every week and working with all of the musicians that one works with and engaging the congregation around things that they were both happy and unhappy about. I I began to call the worship department the war department. Um, (laughs) Either the the war department or the complaints desk. I wasn't sure which uh, was the more appropriate description of, of the job. But I had a conversation one morning in the narthex with an older woman who came out and said, I was standing there in my robe and she came out and she engaged me. And I don't think she even knew that I was pastor of worship, big place, you know, that happens. I used to say that the robe was permission to walk through the hallways fast without talking to people. (laughs) No such luck here. Even if I wore a robe, it wouldn't work here. (laughs) But anyway, she approached me and, and she asked this question. She said, why can't we sing more of the old songs? Why can't we sing more of the old songs? And I was tempted to roll my eyes and walk away, uh, but I didn't. I said, well, tell me, what kinds of old songs do you want to sing? What are the old songs? Then she responded with the helpful phrase, well, I don't know, just the old ones. (laughs) I said, well, if you get a list, I'm the guy that chooses them, so let me know, and I'm... I was just so frustrated at that point and so done with the job. And yet Psalm 84 turned some of that anger and frustration into empathy for me. Because what I hear now in her voice is a longing a longing to be able to sing the tunes that have been most helpful to her on the road. I need the songs and I need to sing the songs that keep me going, is what I hear her saying now. The road is long and hard, 
And I need those songs that turn those tears of sadness into springs of joy. That's why we need worship. Because the road is where we spend most of our time and worship is where we get the energy to move forward. Worship is where we get the songs to sing while we're on the road. Worship reconnects us with that very old song that is new every morning. And that melody that is never silenced and always waiting for us to join with it. Let's pray. Lord, take us into that place where we can hear the tune and at the very least tap our foot and ultimately to join in singing the song. Take us to that place of gratitude for your mercy and then empower us through that gratitude to a place of energized joy that moves us forward in faith and responds to your steadfast love, which is a constant invitation to us that's driving us forward. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.